Hello, welcome everyone. This is episode 28 of Great Quarter Guys. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I'm always and welcome joined by Mr. Kevin Hill. How are we today, Kevin? We're doing fantastic here on a, a beautiful spring day in, in Tennessee right now. Yeah, we've had some nice weather the last few days. Well, we've we have. been blessed. Yeah. So it was a beautiful weekend. We've got a, a, a beautiful show for you today. We're going to have a split show. We're going to split it down the middle. We're going to do some earnings. We've got some, some more Q1 earnings for you. We're going to go over Uber. And we're going to go over USX, Chattanooga's very own. And then we're going to do some we're going to do some unemployment talk with uh, with Mr. Anthony Smith, our lead economist. Yeah, our lead economist. We have some major job numbers coming, come, yeah, coming they've, out. They've so been absolutely we're brutal. Those. Uh, we had the non-farm payrolls come out on mm-hmm. Friday. We, Anthony and I discussed them a little bit on Freightwaves now, but we want to take a little bit of a deeper dive, get some of his insights on when we can see in a recovery, when, when we might see some of those jobs come back, uh, and whether it's even worth projecting these things out with so much uncertainty right now. So true, we'll get to that eventually. Well, let's but, start with one good thing, though. Yeah, let's start with one good piece. Uh, I had a very difficult time getting a one good piece this week. I have, uh, I've actually lapsed this week, so you guys are going to have to forgive me. I will come back with a beautiful one good piece next week. It's going to be the best one good piece yet, I hope. But uh, I don't have one for you this week, but we'll get one next week. So an update to last week's long shorts. We both did uh, there, we did some long-term long shorts. So there's not much to update here. But on Saya, we both were long. Uh, we, we think they're the, the fastest-growing LTL, and, and they're no longer focused on undercutting ODFL and price, and they're really positioned well to take advantage of that West Coast recovery. And then the airline passengers, we kind of did a, an over-under on whether we'd see airline passengers uh, up at at least a 50% um, capacity of normal capacity but through the end of the year we were both short on that that is still to come even though we have seen them double off the bottom in the last week haven't we kevin oh we, we have we, we've seen it double off off the really mid-april highs so uh, basically we went from about ninety thousand as a, a low kind of mid-april to two hundred thousand as of last weekend though it's mother's day and there's probably a little bit of a bounce there i mean it's doubled but if you look at year over year on a graph then uh, you can't even tell it's doubled. Right. It's that far down. I mean, it doubled up to 8% now. 8% of the, the amount of people are flying this year than, than last year on each of the, the last few days. Yeah, it's a really tough time for airlines. We saw we, we talked about it during the coronavirus freight market update that Avianca Airlines out of Columbia, their, their mm-hmm. flagship carrier, has filed for bankruptcy. Uh, the Boeing CEO came out and said that he doesn't think that's the only one. He thinks there's going to be a major U.S. Or, or North American carrier yep. that, that has to file for bankruptcy before the end of this. So uh, it's likely going to be a long time before we see passengers reach that pre-crisis level, if they ever do again. It is. I mean, you have... Uh it's, it's going to be it's very difficult. You have Delta, Southwest, American Airlines all coming out saying it's a two, two to three years to, to get back to normal from this. And once they do come back to normal, it's going to be a much the, all three are going to be much smaller airlines right. going forward. Uh, so you have a lot of uh, uncertainty there. Yeah, uh, no doubt. So let's hop right in. We're, we've got uh, Uber mm-hmm. on the top of the docket. They were they'll lead us off the show. They had uh, so actually some pretty good earnings for for as bad as the quarter was for many people. We'll, we'll start from the top and then we'll go to the, the positives and the negatives. Just some of the overall. So the rides booking their their flagship uh, service, which is just their Uber rides. Their bookings were down only five percent year over year in Q1, and it was a, it was a roller coaster through January and February. They were up twenty percent uh, year over year, and then in March down forty percent, and then in April down eighty percent so 
a roller coaster ride there. That, that is a roller coaster ride, isn't it? You, you have this this normal uh, high growth that that Uber certainly Uber rides are, mm-hmm. and then you just fall off a cliff with with everybody else. And uh, we'll see. I, I think they they've said since then that the, their low points are probably in on ride sharing, uh, and it's probably right. I think you took an Uber to the office uh, yesterday, right? I did take an Uber to the office yesterday. Yeah, I left my keys in Nashville over the weekend, so I had to I had an Uber to the office. Uh, and you and wore I, a mask. I'm not. I did wear a mask. Yeah, you uh, wore a mask course. in that. But Uber. I, and I'm not the only one that's that's starting to take Ubers again now. They they have mentioned that they believe they've hit the bottom uh, on on most of their big markets. Um, so so for example, rides are up 14 percent week over week in all of the New York, Chicago, and LA markets. So they they think things have bottomed there. And then another good sign is that. The rides bookings in those states that have opened up a little bit, that are that have opened up their economy, like Texas and like Tennessee and Georgia, they're seeing uh, a really quick recovery. Back, they, they say Georgia and Texas are already up to between forty and fifty percent of their respective trough levels. So that's that's a good sign. Yeah, and I, I think I, I I don't really have any issues taking an Uber right now. I'm just not really going anywhere. I have more issues going into restaurants and, and going where other people are. Right right now than actually getting an uber so once i once i feel comfortable going in and and having a, a nice meal again I'll, I'll uber there and that's you know i'll foreshadow this one negative is that is one thing that that could come of this is that their um the uber pool rides we don't really have them much in chattanooga but some in the bigger cities that the oh, sharing yes. rides those are those are kind of going to be taken away which you know will take away some of their demand but mm-hmm. I, I i genuinely think you're right there i think for the most part people are going to be pretty comfortable just getting in an uber uh especially if they have a mask yeah people now i that. do get food delivered right now so that's uber eats yes. which is had a, a very good quarter yeah uber eats had by far its best quarter uh on record bookings grew 89 percent year over year in april i mean just exploding mm-hmm. uh, and their take rate was actually was surprisingly good. It was up uh, to 11.3%, which is the highest it's been. Uh, and, and Bank of America is now projecting Uber Eats bookings to be up 75% for the entire year of 2020 over uh, 2019. Yeah, I mean, that, that's people are, are ordering out, delivering more and more. Even, even as the economies open up, I, I think it's going to be slower than the most expect. So to get up back from whatever your your limit is in your state 25% 50% getting back up to that 100% is going to be rough for a lot of people uh and it's going to take some time so i think uber eats is is definitely going to expand over the next couple quarters at least yeah there is uh, i want to hold off on our, our expansion talks of uber eats because we do have a rumor to we talk do, about yes. uh, later on in the show but uh we can talk about one more positive that they that they come away with is that you know, this is a sad thing that we keep having to do every week, but you know, we're, we are celebrating the fact that management laid off 20% or 15% of mm-hmm. a workforce just for a couple extra points of OR. But that is, of course, the case here again. They, uh, there's going to be some long-term benefits of not only the layoffs that they made, but also the the divesture of the Jump platform, which was their bikes and scooters. I know you've never, you haven't been long on the idea of those bikes and scooters. They're not even uh, legal here in Chattanooga, uh, thanks to Ken Smith. Think, uh, he <laughs> fought, fought the tough battle there, getting those uh, expelled, but. Yeah, I think they're going to have some long-term benefits here from that divesture uh, and, and, unfortunately, the layoffs. Yeah, I've never been a, a big bullish person on electric scooters. And now that you have to share them and pick them up, up off the street or the sidewalk and, and jump on them, I'm, I'm by far. Yeah, even even less uh, or even more yeah, bearish much, now, yeah. that, now that I'd have to touch something after another person. Yeah, you have to disinfect it all before you can actually 
even use it. Right. Yeah. That's uh, they need to have a little hand. Go out and break my arm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. On on top of that. Uh, So let's let's jump into a couple of the negatives. I mean, right off the bat, it is pretty blunt and obvious that rides booking was down 80 percent year over year uh, in April. I mean, that's to be expected. Let's look at the Mm -hmm. airline passengers. They're down even more than that. Uh, You know, so retail is down considerably like that. It's just it's just tough to see 80 percent down. The good thing is it, it has bottomed. Do you think it'll be year over year? Quarter, you know, if take take the second quarter, do you think it's going to be? Do you think they're going to recover enough to be year over year? Have year over year growth uh, through in the, the first half quarter? of the year? Yeah, or just twenty. Yeah, you know, well, uh, well they, they were only down five percent in the first quarter. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would think that in the second quarter, uh, ooh, they're going to be close. I mean, I think if they have, they, they should be. I think they'll still be negative year over year after I, Q2. I do too. Yeah, I think I it'll take. Too. I still think they'll probably be negative year over year. Uh, Mm, I don't know. I mean, you can I, say I, it's, I it's bottom, but yeah, but you're it's not going to have that trajectory. Stay it's not going to be V-shaped. Right? No, it's uh, be it'll, it'll stay depressed for for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even places like Texas and, and Georgia, where they've had 50 percent recovery, Hong Kong has actually had 70 percent recovery to pre-crisis levels. So, uh, and Hong Kong is fully operational. They're they're pretty much fully running. Uh, so they haven't seen demand climb all the way back up. So, that, yeah, they could be negative uh, for the full year, um, mm-hmm. most definitely. Uh, but the good thing is, on their side, that they've actually expanded margins. Their their take rate on the rides was the highest. Uh, was I think it's the highest it's been. It was at 23.5% and, 23 and or so. Uh, so that's good. Uh, another another bad point was they did miss on two of their critical KPIs. This is their monthly average users and their trips. And both of these grew, but they grew at the slowest rate that they've, than they've grown in a long time, to be expected, yeah, obviously. Yeah, to be expected. Uh, and then they, they're, they're going to have at least $500 million in autonomous vehicle losses this year. This is, again, you know, one of their big other bets uh, that, they're, that they're going after. Um, it is, yeah. But let's, let's, get to the, let's get to the bull in the room. That is Uber Freight. That's what we want to mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, that is why we're talking about Uber here. And their gross bookings, it rose 55% in Q1, so it was up to uh, nearly $200 million, And that's, again, in gross bookings. So you take their margins are, are quite poor. Yeah, it's, it's uh, gross so revenues. It's, right? it's much less. So they don't break out really their, their net revenues or their take rates, however you want to classify that, in their earnings uh, report and their financials. No, the only thing they do break out is their EBITDA, of course, uh, for Uber Freight. And that sunk even further. So the, I think I believe... Uh, to, Q1 of 2020, they lost uh, 28 million. This this quarter lost 64 million. Uh, so that's a that's a run rate of 250 million dollars. Yeah, yeah, Q1 of 2019 to, mm-hmm. to Q1 of 2020, their EBITDA was down what 36 um, percent. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Sequentially, it's a, a smaller loss than the fourth quarter. Yep. And I think even on gross bookings or, or gross revenue, it was, it's been kind of flat for the last three quarters on on growth sequentially, right? So you go from Q3 2019, Q4 of 2019 to Q1 of 2020, and the, it's really no growth in those revenues. No, and they don't they don't really talk about Uber Eats all that much. They, mm-hmm. uh, they they'll, they'll mention one thing about it on the call. No analyst really asks about it. So. It's hard to or get Uber any Freight. information. Oh, did I, yeah, did I say Uber? Yeah, yeah Uber Freight. Uh, it's hard to get any information on it. They, the only thing they did say out, they, they publicly said that they moved ten thousand loads uh, of medical supplies and of foods at cost, which you know, which is good publicity, but it doesn't exactly help the bottom line, does it? It, it doesn't. So you know what what their take rate is, what the the, the gross or, or sorry the, the net revenue is for Uber Freight is uh, is still somewhat of a mystery. So, uh, like the other large brokers just out there, say Robinson's, uh, JB Hunt's, uh, most everyone else who has a brokerage division, uh, like our next company, US Express, they all have those published net revenue numbers, but Uber does not have those uh, out yet. 
Well, we mentioned that that Uber did sell the jump uh, division, their their scooters and their and their bikes, but you know. They, they've been divesting things in India as well. They've sold mm-hmm. off their Uber Eats in India. They they sold off a part of their business in in China to to DD Chuxing. So, it's it's been a, a bit of a, a theme here that they're selling off some of their unprofitable or, or at least low growth businesses. Kevin, do you think? I mean, do you think Uber Freight could be on the on the docket? Do they think they could be fishing for partners there? And if they were, who who would even who would even want to buy it? It's hard to find a natural buyer uh, for them. Because uh, you know the larger brokerages are, are basically they're just buying back their book of business or buying buying customers since it's not profitable as of yet. I, I think it could be on the block. I, I think uh, what was the the plans were for the end of twenty twenty to be profitable. Uh, yeah, it's Uber, been, it's been was, pushed back uh, to yes. three Q three of twenty twenty one, which is not really it's not, not terrible, uh, which is how bad it could have been. But uh, yeah, so so they definitely have to to pick out uh, you know in the portfolio of business segments, which ones are going to be the top performers profitability wise, and which aren't, and uh, value those accordingly. So I think I think it should be a scenario that is is definitely looked at, and we'll see over the next few months. Yeah, we will see. I'm sure we're going to hear more rumors about this coming out. But uh, you know, one thing for me is that that all of these, uh, all of the potential buyers, the the big legacy uh, brokerages, they all have really advanced tech. You know, I could see mm-hmm. that people could try to maybe buy off this that this Uber freight division simply to get the engineering talent that Uber has out there in California or in in, in Chicago. But most of them, most you know, the C.H. Robinsons, the the J.B. Hunt divisions, they've all got really great tech. They have really good tech, and and usually they will buy. They'll buy companies to get into that market, but they're all competing for the same market or buying cash flow, which Uber Freight doesn't produce yeah, a cash yeah, flow exactly right now, nor does it look like they will be in the foreseeable future. So, really, you're, they're all sharing clients, too. I mean, you know, they're the food and beverage industry. Uh, they're all sharing the same clients, moving different loads for them, competing over that. So, in essence, if you're a strategic buyer, uh, you're, you're buying a customer list you probably already have. And if you're a private equity firm out there, you're looking for cash flow, which Uber Freight uh, right now doesn't produce the, the, the cash flow that's probably attractive private equity. So that limits, limits it down. Let's talk about another company that has had a, a storied history with private equity and is also big in the food and bev industry. That's our Chattanooga's own USX. Uh, they, I, they, I read one of the more, more brutal sell-side research uh, notes I've ever read uh, about USX this week. Uh, and, and truthfully, most of it is just about their fleet size. It seems that either their costs are a bit too high or their, their rates are a little too low. And, and mm-hmm. when you look at their rates and uh, compared to their peers, it seems that they're actually pretty in line with the revenue per truck per week. So, mm-hmm. It, most of the analysts are now looking to to the cost side that it must be uh, it must be a too big of a fleet. Yeah, you know, I mean, they expanded fleet to 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 go into the recovery, right? And that recovery, uh, you know, was a bet anyway. The recovery mm-hmm. was a bet, yeah. uh, certainly in the freight markets. You know, the freight market recovery, uh, but with COVID nineteen, that's kind of thrown all kind of predictions, forecasts, everything out the window. So it's time to 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 struggle through that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bet that really could have paid off if we, because mm-hmm. we, we were all calling for this kind of second half or at least midsummer capacity crunch when the produce season came on and when, and beverage goods things things of that nature really picked up. 
But I mean, you're right. Coronavirus has just turned the entire economy up up on its head. So uh, it's really difficult that, that they that they kind of put themselves out there for that bet, and it might not work out for them. Yeah, the one silver silver lining right now, though, is that they're more exposed to the essential products, so yeah. the food and beverage, uh, the you know uh, the the dollar stores. Uh, that type of general merchandise that is still in demand. It's consum- consumables, uh, essential consumables, so that they'll keep on moving. Uh, so if they'd had a mix that was automotive or more heavy, heavily into the manufacturing uh, segments of the, the economy, it would have been it would have been brutal. Yeah, it would have been really rough. Um, and another thing that's kind of uh, another point that that the analysts are harping on that doesn't really make sense to me that that they don't really understand either is the driver turnover at USX. I, I they they say that it's about one hundred and thirty percent, which is uh, again it's always very high in this industry. It's usually about a hundred percent, but they're they're a bit higher than their peers, uh, which is you know something that they that they need to address as well. Yeah, so this is something they need to address, and that's something that uh, you know you, you can look at and engage that number going forward into the next few quarters and see how that's that that's, that's moving. To, to see what kind of progress they have, because that's a huge expense. It, it hits the bottom line heavily. Recruiting costs is costs, you know, anywhere, you know, industry average somewhere between ten and $15,000 per uh, getting one driver in one seat. So the mm-hmm. higher turnover you have, yeah. uh, the, the more expensive it's going to be. And as we said, it, you know, it normally averages around 100% anyway. So it's, it's very expensive uh, no matter what. So... Bringing that down is is essential to, to increase USX's uh, earnings power. Yeah, I mean, for a fleet of six thousand trucks, you can do the you can do the math on your head. If they're having to hire six thousand or, or even a couple thousand drivers a year, uh, mm-hmm. you can you can see that that can get really expensive. Really, really expensive, quick. really quickly. Yes. Uh, well. You know, let's let's jump over. Let's jump ship a little bit. We're uh, we're getting pressed for time, so let's bring in our our main man, Anthony Smith. He is the lead economist here at Freightwaves. We're going to talk a little bit about unemployment. Uh, we of course got those non farm payrolls data uh, in for April back on Friday. It was one of the worst uh, non farm payroll reports on on uh, on record. It's not well, that we were surprised by it, but it's just it's really brutal to see. It went from around three point five percent, which was one of the best in history. Yeah, fifty year low to the worst in a matter of eight weeks 30, yeah eight weeks yeah eight absolutely weeks. absolutely insane but uh let, let's hop over to anthony anthony you want to give uh, just a little overall on what your uh takeaways were from the non-farm perils what what sectors were hit the worst which do you expect to recover the quickest yeah definitely just as you guys mentioned this was one of the hardest hits uh that we've ever seen in the history since this has been recorded um, of course, I think this was something that we've expected as we've seen the jobless claims really, really pile in over the last few weeks. Um, not too much of a surprise. The hardest hit industries, of course, leisure, hospitality, well over a uh, 40-plus percent uh, decline since the beginning of the year. Um, of course, that's going to be a hard-hit one, and that's going to be a one that's probably a little bit slower to come back. Um, construction, another hard-hit area, manufacturing. Um, we did see that there was some decline in financial services, but wasn't hit quite as hard as many of the other segments overall. Um, but when we're looking at uh, jump-starting the economy, I think, or any type of recovery, of course, I think we're going to start to look for many, many uh, manufacturers to probably come back online. When we're looking at different manufacturers, automotive, definitely one of the hardest hit, but we are starting to see sparks of them starting to come back online for sure. Anthony, when do you think, I mean, is it even fair to project out when we think we could get a full recovery of these jobs? I mean, there's so much uncertainty now. Is it even, is it even worth the time to, to, to point out when we think we can get there? So 
So that task would be very difficult. I mean, we're looking at, I like to look at things on a macro scale and for that macro outlook, it's gonna be difficult. But if you really are looking to really kind of forecast and really get an idea of when things are coming back, it has to be done on a state-by-state -state basis. When you're looking at uh, which state their core competencies are, what really drives their economies, um, you're gonna have to look at what their population's looking like, what their current coronavirus uh, situation's looking like, what the governance is looking like, and uh, what, what kind of uh, ordinances are being put in place. Um, so, for example, we've heard of, of stories in places like Hawaii, where it's just a huge hospitality hub, um, really being able to, uh, ha well, really struggling with being able to quarantine and really taking things very seriously. Um, they're most likely going to be a little bit more strict on things coming back online, really, really ramping up their self-quarantine uh, measures, as opposed to areas like here in Chattanooga, where some restaurants, or many of the restaurants are starting to come back online already, and you can start to see um, you know, tables being seated, maybe one, every other table or so, um, just as long as the staff is, are wearing masks. But really, when we're looking at this, uh, if you want to forecast it, if you want to look at it, and really kind of project when these, starts, uh, when these jobs start to come back online, it's definitely going to have to be done on a state-by-state -state basis, just because there's so many regional variances. Yeah, I agree with you, Anthony. I think that's a really good point. What What do you make of the, the? I guess one of the most surprising points of this report for me was the average hourly average, average hourly earnings actually jumped almost five percent. Uh, you know, I see that and I look at it as uh, a lot of the jobs that have been taken away were low income jobs. So you have the higher income jobs that have that remain are pushing up the average. What, what do you make about this? I agree. Um, I think you're definitely on on track there with some of the higher income jobs definitely staying online. We're looking at those that are able to telecommute also. When you're looking at this, um, just from a statistical point, you have fewer people to um, really do that comparison with when you're dividing it out. And so that definitely kind of makes sense to me. Um, one of the other thing that kind of makes me think about is, of course, the incentivization for some individuals. I know we chatted about this shortly on one of our other segments, but incentivizing some individuals for remaining unemployed because many people are making more than they were when they were employed on unemployment. So there's that kind of incentive for many individuals to shelter in place, uh, continue to stay at home, social, social distancing, practicing that, those measures because they're actually making more now um, and having more income now than they were when they're actually working. Yeah, that's going to be something to watch here when we get towards the end of this containment or in, into this uh, social distancing measures is when if they're going to have to extend those those additional benefits or if they're going to try to force people back to work. But one, one question I had for you, Anthony, was, you know, do you think this 14.7% in April is the peak of our unemployment rate? And if it's not, what, when do we see the peak and how high do you think it can go? I think we can definitely start to see numbers get into that 20% range. So I don't think this is the peak just yet. Um, although some economies are starting to come back online, I think when we start to get May numbers, we might start to see a little bit more piling on. Um, May, June might be when we see those, those peaks between one of those two months, uh, potentially. Um, and then we might start to see some subsiding there. Uh, I'm going to keep my eyes closely on continuous job claims because initial job claims really shows when uh, those first claims for unemployment and uh, benefits come in for first-time filers, but continuous claims are those that are continuously claiming on a week-to-week -week basis, so they have yet to find employment. So that's going to be really a key area to watch to really kind of see if there's any kind of uh, subsiding 
for those unemployment uh, individ unemployed individuals. Also looking at the four-week moving average for weekly jobless claims is going to be something to watch. Uh, I think it's still just it's, it's, it's still just over four million, so it moved down uh, a little bit, um, but still that's going to be one to watch. It's starting to subside. I'm hoping to see continuous claims come down, but really I think we haven't seen our peak just yet. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because when we look at unemployment numbers, the area that gets factored in is those that are discouraged and no longer looking. And so that's going to be another interesting way of how things get measured and divvied out uh, when we look at the recovery side of this thing. Um, Kevin, maybe as you know as well, uh, when we've seen any kind of policies that are being put in place, even if there is a deadline for things to stop, it's not always that clear cut uh, for, for many government policies and, and things like that when we have uh, rollouts for any kind of benefits in the government. You want to you wanna be able to help and aid and assist, but it's really difficult to really reel those in sometimes. All right. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your insight, man. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll see you tomorrow on Freightonomics with Zach Strickland. Uh, thank you again so much. All right, so Kevin, we can let's hop into our last few minutes here. We can touch quickly on the DHL supply chain pricing power index from last week. We didn't have much movement; it actually stayed at ten. Uh, you know, this is again the, the battle back and forth. Strickland is seemingly losing his his ninety three hundred. Great debate right now, uh, but volumes are still pretty depressed. And, and reefer, I mean, I'm sorry, rejection rates have found a bottom, but they're still below three percent. Yeah, so uh, the volumes uh, OTVI has has recovered quite a bit. You know, we're over ninety four hundred, I think, as of today. So that's a very encouraging sign. And as you said, the tender rejections, which is our measure of uh, of capacity in the market, has hopefully bottomed. I mean, I don't know how much lower it could have went, yeah. uh, but it really isn't doing much. It, it's, it's staying at very depressed levels, uh, below 3%, which means that that even with volumes coming up, that pricing power is really not there yet for carriers. Uh, hopefully, that's a lagging indicator, and that will turn over. Uh, you know, May 18th comes around on Monday, and that's when auto manufacturing opens up. Hopefully, right. uh, everything goes well with that. That there are that there is demand for manufactured goods. We talked to Dr. Jason Miller earlier today on the coronavirus freight market update, and that's one of one of the questions and going through the worst case scenarios and best case scenarios of of the demand for manufactured goods. So we will see uh, see how that plays out. But right now, we're holding steady at 10 and waiting for new information that's, that's coming through this week. Yeah, I think I think we will have a movement uh, this week. But let's go to our last segment. Let's jump to the long shorts. I know we're going to have some some movement here. This will be fun. Yes. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into the rumor mill here a little bit. I, uh, I found some some hot rumors on the internet about some M&A activity going on uh, in this very odd time. But uh, the first one is a little bit more far-fetched, and we'll, we'll, we'll go to it, and then we'll go to the more realistic one in a second. But the, the, the very far-fetched one is the rumor has it that Amazon, uh, the, the big massive Amazon, is kind of circling around like sharks in the water around uh, AMC Theaters, the, the nation's largest um, theater company. They own 6,500 theaters in the U.S. and, and Europe. Uh, Kevin, can you think of a reason why they would do this, and are you long or short the idea of them doing it? Uh, you know, I, I, I can't think of a really good reason to purchase AMC movie theaters, except for maybe the real estate. Uh, I, I guess you could cross-sell it. We talked about it a little bit because you brought it up earlier this morning. I, you could cross-sell a little bit. You can stream, I guess stream. 
your 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 own original content in there. Uh, but but I, it's hard to make a case. I mean, you can buy it really cheap right now, which is is always good. Everyone loves things that are on sale. So Amazon has enough money to just to buy it and just to figure it out from there. And if crowds come back, you know, if movie theaters come back, they, they could put their own interesting spin on it. You brought up Prime membership. So uh, I, I, I would kind of like to go short, but it's such an insignificant buy for Amazon it's hard to go short. I, I have to go long. Yeah, it's just pennies, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they, their their market cap is over a trillion. AMC's is is the low uh, low single digit billions. I mean, it, it it doesn't really make all that much sense financially, but it does kind of make sense in the fact that okay, they can give it. A, it's so little money for them that they could give it a test, and if it doesn't work out, then they just shut the movie theaters down and, and reduce and they take take away uh, some competition for their streaming. I mean, they they help out their competition with Netflix in that sense, but. You know, I do think there is some cross-selling there. They can sell Prime memberships to to movie theaters where they can they can watch either Amazon movies or regular movies are in there because there is still a demand for going to the movies. I mean, as much as streaming has taken away a lot of the demand mm-hmm. for for streaming, there is still something about for me at least going to the movies and experiencing something in theater. And while we can't do that right now because of the coronavirus, but we will eventually be able to do that again. And I think people are going to go back to the movies. It, one of the one of the strange things is then they're going to get into a battle with with Hollywood with distribution and and that's something else that has to be worked out. You know, remember the the music industry and it's it's long battle with internet. Uh, you know, from from Napster to uh, Apple iTunes and Amazon streaming services, right? That that whole big battle. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it'd be like Amazon going and buying a Snickers bar, though. You know, how much money are you really going to waste on it? Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little much. bit of like of, of Ted Turner owning the Braves and owning the, the, the streaming or the, and owning uh, the network. It's yeah. kind of like they, they own both sides of the mm-hmm. coin. They can they can either stream things online or they can own the theaters. I see that being a play, but I don't know. I'm kind of shorted as well. Uh, but we've got one more that is yep. a, a seemingly a little bit of a, a, a more probable uh, rumor here. And this one is that Uber is looking to acquire Grubhub. So this would unite the two largest uh, food delivery companies in America. Uh, Uber is now worth uh, their, their market caps over fifty billion. I think uh, Grubhub's is about five billion. So it would be a small add-on purchase to them, growing about ten percent by market cap. Kevin, are you short or are you long the idea of Uber uh, snatching up Grubhub? Well, that 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 industry's got to consolidate because margins aren't there. They're all competing with with each other. The price, the race to the bottom of who can lose the most money on on on. Uh, uh, food delivery, so there's got to be there's got to be consolidation. So I, you know what, I'm I'm long that. I'm long it too. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that Grubhub's the number one competition for Uber, yet mm-hmm. they're you know minuscule in size. Uh, I think it gives them. Uh, it gives them a lot of network um, density where they can get a lot of the restaurants that they hadn't signed up for already. Uh, there's a lot of uh, cross-selling opportunities there between Uber and I, I think I think it's a really good move for them. I hope they do do it. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm very long that idea. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah. But that about wraps it up. Let's go ahead and, and put in our plugs for the day. What you got going on tomorrow on Put That Coffee Down with Tim Dooner? We, we have Bill Vitti from TruckStop.com coming in, and we're going to talk about how to align your sales goals uh, with the sales team and the company. Sometimes they don't really match up all that well, and the importance of making sure that everything flows as it should. 
Very nice. And then, of course, we've got a bunch of other shows coming up this week. We've got Freightonomics coming up with, with our man Anthony Smith, who we just spoke to, and Zach Strickland. Then we've got with Sonar on Thursday, uh, and then we'll have to chuck to round it out uh, on Friday. And another coronavirus market update on, on Thursday. So on Thursday, make yeah. sure to tune into that. But this has been episode 28 of Great Quarter, guys. We're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. See you guys next week.